so uh he mentioned you and i was like oh wait and then i like looked on my instagram and i was like oh yeah i know that guy because he's he's crazy with his grip stuff <laughs> right like uh, um i like uh i like finding these uh odd people not odd people i mean oh, i no, guess you could be odd. odd odd people is perfect yeah <laughs> uh, because not many people train like that right they don't yeah. they don't think outside the box and yeah. things like that and that's why i was like oh this guy and then i looked further and i was like i was like oh he competed adcc and like i was like and i just opened a can of worms with you like it's just <laughs> like uh you know uh it's not just the grip strength i knew you did grappling but not to yeah. the level that what it was sure sure um so <clears throat> i guess uh what i what i do with this podcast I, you know i just like to hear people's story and like yeah. uh you know, you know your whole background and i'm not necessarily like uh, like a three-hour life project but uh yeah. you know uh just uh you know like where you grew up and you know what kind of struggles you had and things like that and um and how you got to where you were right or sure, where man. you are now uh, the cool thing is um you know how is it training under Hodger gracie uh, i mean a lot of people in the states over here are like you know obviously he's a well respected yeah. man in the jiu-jitsu world um and i mean he seems like a great person all around right and jiu-jitsu kind of does that for people turns their their heart around um mm. but i mean you're lucky enough to actually train under him how was that? Yeah, so, well, I, uh, I'm graded under Roger. Uh, I got my black belt from Roger, and I have trained with Roger, but most of my training wasn't done uh, directly with Roger. It was done with one of his black belts called Nick mm -hmm. Brooks. Uh, but we were affiliate with Roger for many years, so I managed to, uh, I was fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to share the mat with him on a few occasions. Uh, yeah, Roger is, um, kind of when I started, he was already at the top of the game, yeah. uh, but I was lucky enough to, be part of that team when he was going through, uh, you know, his super dominant era. I was there when he won the Worlds um, the second or third time and he won weight in absolute. And uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he, he's definitely, you know, pretty widely considered the greatest of all time, especially when it comes to the gi grappling. So yeah, a yeah. Real privilege to be graded under him. You know, when you can force your will on just like basic uh, techniques, right? And this is where every black belt that uh you know it's all about the basics right well he is like the prime example that basic movements and if you do them properly you can do it on anybody yeah he's like uh the the godsend of all of the uh, <laughs> instructors trying to teach their white belts not to learn baron bolos off of youtube yeah. on their third month <laughs> or 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 uh, leg locking white belts right that's like the that's, that's right. the big thing yeah, yeah. right I mean, hey, sometimes you get lazy and you just want to fall back and hit a leg lock, right? You don't feel like using the energy. But, uh, <laughs> um, well, so, so you don't do any leg locks or anything? I mean, you, uh, you, very, you very rarely, very rarely. Uh, what got you so into the guillotine? Because, I mean, obviously you have like the shirt that's like guillotine. You, um, I mean, that's, people know you for hunting guillotines. Yeah. So what I, do you uh, like about it? Yeah, it's it's one of those things actually that a lot of the time when you really get into a technique, it happens quite organically and it did for me. So uh, I used to train a lot more uh, gi than no gi before I was really having a lot of success. No gi that gave me the ability to. So my, my instructor is a big uh, advocate of the gi. Um, and 
Uh, therefore, I trained 90 to 95% of the gi. And the only time where I'd do no gi if I had a no gi competition coming up. Even though I enjoyed it, um, I had good success in both. Uh, but at one point, I just started to get uh, have a lot more renown and, and, and success in no gi than gi. And that's when it kind of uh, got to the point now where I, I, I don't train in the gi at all. Uh, but when I was training the gi, it, it actually comes back to the grip training that we were talking about, which was... Mm. Uh, I started grip training at the age of about, like, really got into it about, about 17 years old. And about 17 or 18. And what I was doing, I was doing, uh, I read dinosaur training. And I was doing the same workout three times a week with a buddy of mine from college. And it was like, we just had a thick handle barbell. And it was curls, deadlift. No squat stands, so there were no squats. It was curls, deadlift, floor press, so I didn't have a bench, and clean and press. And then at the end of the session, every session, we would do farmer's walk. I had a farmer's walk bars. So we do like a long farmer's walk. You just walk till you put it down. And then the other guy walks till he puts it down. Then you walk to, you know, and you just do that. I did that three times a week. And within a, like a couple of months, suddenly, combined with training jiu-jitsu every day as well to kind of, because if you just train, like my gi grips were better then, like 10 years ago than they are now because I was training in the gi at the same time as doing the grip training. Even though my grip's way stronger now, it wasn't uh, molded into the grabbing onto lapels like it was back in the day. So suddenly, and I was 75 kilo blue purple belt, uh, suddenly I, or purple belt, uh, suddenly I, people couldn't break my grip. And I mean, nobody could break my grip. I always tell the story of uh, Rodolfo Vieira came over after ADCC in 2011. Uh, ADCC was in the UK and he came and did a seminar at our gym and I rolled with him. I was 75 kilos. He was world champion, Rodolfo Vieira. And I grabbed onto his lapel and he put both hands on it and he tried to remove it and he could not remove it. And I just took that as a massive win. Now, make no mistake, he passed my guard, took mount and cross-choked me instantly but my hand was still in his lapel the entire time so i kind of had this really strong lapel grip and then you go well if you have like an advantage like that how can you leverage that in your game and the way that i leveraged that was playing uh, open guard with the lapel grip and i would use the loop choke a lot yeah so i'd i'd, I'd like pull uh if they react to that i'd push i'd get like a, a almost like an ankle pick but i just grab onto the trousers and i use that to sweep or if I push and they push back into me, I'd pop round for a um, loop choke. But I wouldn't use the hand through. I'd pop, hold with one hand, and then roll underneath. And um, I was having loads of success with that. And then it was time to do a no-gi competition. So I took the gi off. I was like, oh, my God, my favorite technique is gone. Yep. But then I was like, actually, this is kind of like a guillotine. And that's how it started. So it all came actually from the gi from doing the loop choke. When I teach my seminar and I, I, I spend, uh, I do a three hour guillotine seminar. And the first hour I just show like a setup drill. And then once we've done that for the guillotine, once we've done that, I like, does anyone have a gi? Cause this is just a setup drill for the loop choke. So that's how I got into the guillotine. And then from there, just realizing how uh, effective it is, how much control it gives you, how versatile it is. I believe it's one of the most versatile techniques uh, in the sport for sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, the person that, because I'm young into it, three years in the grappling, but the, the person that I know and recognize the most, um, and he's still high level, is Josh Hinger, right? He's really yeah. known for his guillotines and just head control, period, just to, even, yeah. if, even if he has to pass or get around people. Um, 
um, what kind of, uh, like through your grip training, what, what have you felt like noticed like for your guillotines? Like, um, um, like, uh, what kind of grip training do you do to like, yeah. uh, better expand yeah. your, like your guillotine strength? Sure. So, so I definitely think that it helps a huge amount. Obviously, you could have all of the strength in the world. If you don't have the technique, then it's completely irrelevant. But if you do have the technique, then any of the strength that you can add to it is, is only a bonus. So for me, um, training, training, especially the hooking position. Yeah. So a lot of forearm stuff and open hand finger stuff. My fingers themselves are not particularly strong, but my forearm is strong. My wrists are strong in this position and that, and then grabbing onto your hand and all of this stuff. Uh, so for me, grip is like anything from the middle of the, you know, the bottom of the shoulder down to your fingertips. Yeah. So having uh, no weak links in that chain allow you to uh, have a strong connection to generate force at awkward angles. Uh, and to which a big part of guillotine and which is grip fighting as well being able to manipulate the other the opponent's hand away from your hand to give you the opportunity to get a cleaner grip to it so the grip training absolutely definitely helps my uh helps my guillotine game uh in in every capacity yeah by the way i'm gonna uh steal your way of organizing all your grip stuff because Glad even it. if it's just a basic pegboard um my my stuff's just all over the place and i'm like i was like oh yeah. man i need yeah, if to I could uh, go back in in time i'd probably get a basic pegboard because i just got to drill holes every time i want to move stuff and, take uh, <laughs> and stuff. it's a bit rudimental but it looks good and uh man i started with like uh i keep on occasionally i'll put pictures of uh my my first wall of grip it was like uh it was like you know one foot by two foot yeah. uh piece of piece of wood i just drilled some holes and there were like five things on it so it's just just about expanding it slowly over many years. What was your first piece? Like uh, besides, you know, that thick, that barbell that you, you trained with. Yeah, I think I had a, I think I had a torsion spring gripper uh, okay. um, from, from when I was pretty young. Uh, and I used it because I remember, I think I must have already started grip training. I remember having like a shitty plastic one that I used to take mm -hmm. to school and used to play around with. But I remember getting a Captains of Crush number one when I was about 17 or 18 mm -hmm. and I used to take it into college. I was a skinny kid still, maybe 17 kilos, uh, 70 kilos. Sorry. Uh, and uh, I could close the captain of crush number one and I'd give it to all of my like uh, sports teachers, these big buff rugby dudes and they couldn't close it. Obviously they, they just like didn't know how to set it properly and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. I used to make me feel like a badass just taking my grip around and showing them how strong I was. <laughs> yeah, I think like at age 20, cause I got uh like trainer all the way to 2.5 captain crushers yeah. obviously right now uh i don't train my grip as much as i did back when i was uh in the field as a glazer mm. um yeah and i'd do the same thing with my boss and i think i've only closed like one and a half yeah but yeah it is definitely uh like a technique right like you have you have to have oh, yeah. like, uh you gotta have the right setup plus i got these little ass hands too so it's like and my hands are particularly big <laughs> So you have to do like extra, yeah, you have to do extra grip work just to compensate for the small hands, I guess. But then there's, there's some advantages to having small hands, you know, when you, when you do, obviously I think I'd rather have massive hands cause you just, it makes that thick bar stuff a lot easier, yeah. but, uh, that smaller, smaller levers can, can give you some advantages in some areas as well. Yeah. So I'm in the same page with you. Like, uh, like, uh, 
for some reason I call this like a gooseneck, right? Or like around yeah. like people's heads. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you definitely have to be a lot stronger since you don't have like that. You, you can't rely on that large hand to like grip someone. You have to have a totally reliant on forearm grip and things like that. Yeah, but if, but if you think about it, if your hand is bigger, your opponent would have more leverage to open it back oh, up. Very true. Yeah. So it works both ways, but uh, we can't change that. That's one of the things we can't change <laughs> at the moment. One day we'll have like cool cyborg hands and we have to worry about this. <laughs> so how's uh, how's uh, in the in the Europe area with this pandemic? Uh, are gyms open right now? Uh, gyms are um, open. Or, or is it like a shh, like shh, be quiet? No, it's so not been, open. I've been, but I've been training grappling for a couple of months under the uh, – there's like the uh, there's like an elite sport um, clause where elite athletes are able to train. So I've been training for a little while now, but uh, keeping it pretty smart. I just train in a bubble of four people. We do temperature checks, and we so you know we we, we have the track and trace in, in case anyone does come down with anything. Uh, but so far we've been pretty good. Uh, gyms are open in uh, in three days time on Saturday, uh, the twenty fifth. So uh, they're still meant to be maintain, uh, maintaining social distancing. I think a lot of gyms are going to open with social distancing protocols in place, uh, but a lot of gyms will be opening without them in, in place. Uh, you know, some, some gyms, it's, 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 a, it's really a case at this point of people don't want to do, people don't want to come in uh, to your jiu-jitsu academy and do fitness classes or solo drilling. They want to yeah. roll. And if they can't, you're going to lose members. And if you lose members, your gym's going to shut down. So for some people, it's just a necessity. But. Yeah. Um, I don't, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Um, yeah. Some, you know, the social distancing inside a jujitsu gym, I think is a little ridiculous because yeah, like you said, um, or unless you got like a family member, I know our gyms are kind of in that, like if you got like family member or someone that you just in a closed circle that you've been, you know, you're not like traveling to all these different gyms. Yeah. You could just, that's your training partner for the time yeah. being. Like, so at least we got that. Um, but yeah, man, it's, uh, especially here in California, uh, you know, uh, I think there's, it's pretty bad out there, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's bad as far as cases, but you know, I think a lot of people are also getting fed up with it too. Um, cause yeah. you don't really, you don't really know the, the, the the, the real story, right? Like you hear, no, this, you hear that. Yeah. So and I think that's, they're keeping it that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, where'd you grow up? Um, Around here, North London. Yeah. And uh, how, how was it like uh, growing up as a kid out in London? It's uh, I have no complaints. Uh, I don't remember too much of my childhood to be honest okay. with you. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, I was never, one thing that I do remember is I was never very sporty. Uh, never particularly athletic. A lot of people see me now and they assume that I am a born athlete. Uh, it's not true at all. Um, very much never was into to team sports really at all. Um, and if you don't play a team sport, generally you don't, you don't get that, that development as an athlete when you're younger. Uh, so, you know, a lot of the time I'm having to work very hard nowadays because I don't have the advantage of there's that age uh, just before, you know, just before, just before puberty and through early stages of puberty where um, what you do from the ages of like six, seven, eight uh, up until puberty, 
it, it has a big effect on how you grow genetically it modifies your body uh, and I never had that I was never big into sports as a kid so a lot of people who are natural athletes because they trained when they were younger um, and have advantage still from that uh, I, I don't have any of that so I just have to train real hard to this day uh, but yeah I, I, I didn't get into sports seriously until I started jiu-jitsu uh, about 15 years old 15 years old uh, so uh, how old are you now I'm 29. Oh yeah. Well, now I feel like an old man. Now I'm only, I'm only, I'm only 34. <laughs> my, my body's like 80 though. <laughs> yeah. From all that, from all that heavy lifting. Uh... To, be, to be honest with you, to be honest with you, uh, I do, I do joke about that and I say that, but my body's in a better condition now than it was in my early to mid twenties. My body was definitely in a way worse state five years ago than it is today. So the intelligence with the training is definitely. Um, uh, manifested itself in a positive way. Uh, my body feels pretty good these days, to be honest with you. Why? Why five years ago? Like, uh, were you just like overtraining? Uh, yeah, just... I think so. Overtraining, under recovering, nutrition probably wasn't on, on point. My sleep probably wasn't on point. Uh, you know, just kind of just just busting through with that that youthful exuberance yeah. uh, that so many of us do. But uh, it takes a toll. And because I started training pretty hard from like. 16, 17, um, I picked up lots of injuries and, and jiu-jitsu, you can definitely be prone to injuries through jiu-jitsu as well, but picked up many injuries and, and from the age of about 19, I remember someone joked when I turned 20, they said, you're not a teen anymore, you're going to get injured. I never got injured until I was 20. And uh, they said, uh, you're not a teen anymore, you're going to get injured. I thought, this is ridiculous. Nothing's changed. I was 19 years old yesterday and I'm 20 years old today. <laughs> Uh, and I competed about uh, less than a month after I turned 20. And the first competition, I, I, I fucked my knee up uh, going rubber guard. And my first competition, I was like, damn, maybe they're right. Maybe, maybe I'm not a teen anymore. I'm going to get injured. Uh, and I had many in injuries through my, you know, I, I, I messed my back up really bad uh, in my early 20s at 21. Uh, herniations and, and, and fractures in my spine. Uh, I had shoulder surgery at 24 or 5. Um, I had many, many knee injuries for many years, just chronic knee issues, um, many strains, many pulls, many tears on the knees. Luckily, nothing that required surgery on the knees, but, 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 but uh, lots of time off various times for, for knee injuries. Uh, and then, to be honest with you, the last two or three years, I've been very, very fortunate with injuries. My body is... I would say my body feels chronologically younger at 29 than it did at 23, 24. Now, are you still competing at a higher level uh, right now? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to, you know, as of right now, it's hard to, uh, to, to compete at all at the moment, but I'll be going to the ADCC trials in October and, and you know, still looking to compete on Polaris and, and uh, all of the big shows and stuff like that. Yeah, I remember... Uh... Um, I went to last year's ADCC, and uh, that was quite the experience, especially for a, a younger, uh, in, in the grappling sense, you know, yeah. uh, just to experience just that overwhelming of all the people. And just you went to the finals? Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, down in LA. In uh, LA, yeah, yeah. It looked incredible. It looked incredible. Uh, and we were... We, we were there early. We we're like the first ones in line. So like we, we picked like um, the second row dead center, all three mats. Yeah. It, and the experience is like, yeah, we're going next year too. the same group of people. Awesome. Uh, so 
uh, I hope to see you there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But no, I remember my, uh, I competed at ADCC in 2011. Um, I was still a brown belt at the time. I qualified as a purple belt and I just got my brown belt uh, when, I, when I competed at the World Championships that happened to be in Nottingham in, in, in the UK. And it's very strange experience. I was still very young. Um, in, 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 you know, I was young, full stop. I was 20 years old, but I was also young in my competitive career as well, relatively. And I was warming up next to Marcelo Garcia. You know, it was, it was uh, and, 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 you know, Marcelo Garcia and, and Gracie's and so, so many people. It's just a really um, a crazy experience to go from having idols and watching these people from day one and wanting to emulate them and then warming up next to them and fighting them. Um, a crazy experience, but uh, unfortunately, I hadn't made it back to ADCC since then. Um, I did the trials in 2015 mm-hmm. and tore my, no, 2014 for the 2015 one, tore my knee in the uh, second match that I had there and couldn't continue. Uh, and then I was just busy, you know, I kind of just let it get away from me. I had other commitments. I one one year I was commentating on the same day as the trials. Uh, the next year I was a, a quintet. Uh, they offered me quintet, and I could do ADCC trials or quintet. And I was like, man, I've I've, I've got to do quintet. It's such a big, such an awesome show. Um, so yeah, so so the focus for me, competition wise, is definitely qualifying for ADCC and going back out to compete where uh, where where I believe I should be. Yeah, how's the quintet experience? Um, uh... Where, where where was that? Was that over overseas? So I guess it's not overseas for you, but you know. Well, the first one was, and for you as well, the first one was in Japan, <laughs> was in Tokyo. So that that was that was the craziest experience. That was the that was the best tournament that I've ever had. I couldn't even I couldn't imagine an experience being quite as great as that ever, regardless of what happens. I, I think that that was. Uh, not the best in a way like winning ADCC would be incredible and would be the pinnacle, mm-hmm. but the, the uniqueness of, of everything to do with that tournament and that experience, uh, it will be unmatched to the day I die, I imagine. Yeah. You know, they always say the the fans over there are um, like no other fans, right? Uh, because a lot of them like fully understand the mm-hmm. art rather than like a, like an MMA fight where in the U.S., you know, they just like go for the knockout and then like but they they fully understand like the the complex uh style and you know a pass to them is like really good for them like they they understand it so did you did you get like that energy and that feel in that kind of crowd versus like a adcc crowd or uh yeah adcc crowd yeah so um you know i, I do think that any grappling show the only people who go to watch grappling shows are grapplers. Yeah. You know? So any grappling show that you go to is going to be filled with people who understand grappling. Mm-hmm. In it. When you go to an MMA show, it's different. Yeah. An MMA show, you're going to go and loads of people don't know what the hell is going on and they just want to see someone punch at some other guy in the face. But whenever you go to a pure grappling show, be it ADCC or EBI or Quintet, Polaris, you're going to go and every, every single, with the exception of some family and friends of some of the fighters, 95% of that audience will be people who grapple. Yeah. So, and I think that's one of the nice things about grappling is that the people who watch really do appreciate it. 
Uh, Japan feels different for a, a load of reasons, but it feels like a, uh, it's the spiritual home place of jujitsu, potentially the spiritual home place of, of martial arts or uh, one of the meccas of martial arts, absolutely. But, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu came directly from Japan mm-hmm. and um, there's definitely a different vibe competing in Japan. We were competing in an incredible arena. Uh, the, the crowd was awesome there uh, and it was a very different and unique and it was the first ever of that format so there were loads of things that went into making quintet crazy uh the the, the crowd and the fact that it was in japan be, being one of those things yeah now uh, mentally how do you prepare for these uh these big events or any tournament uh you might do you do it the same way mentally prepare um obviously everybody physically prepares with their training but what's your mindset like when you go through these things yeah, and, and, and that, it's a good question. It's an important part, and I've spoken a, a, a lot about this in the past. Uh, I think that training your mind is an important part of mm-hmm. the, the game and, and, and of martial arts in general. Um, for me, you know, I've done specific training on mindset, specific training on mental performance. For me, it's getting myself into a, in, in, you know, being able to put myself into a state that I want to be in when I compete. Uh, and being able to trust myself that I'm able to do that. You know, I have some rituals that I do every time. I have some conditioning tools, uh, mental conditioning tools that I, uh, that, that, that I use as a trigger to put myself into that state. And, uh, and yeah, but sometimes, as well as being able to always go to that same place, I think as well, how you fight is a reflection of you as an individual. And as you change and develop through life, so in some ways should potentially the way that you fight. You know, sometimes uh, the way that what worked really well for you years ago might not work well for you. You're in a different place in your life. Maybe the motivation and the framing of how you're looking to compete might be different. So it as well as being able to put myself into a specific spot every time, uh, you also need to consider that maybe you need to uh, adapt slightly and feel, you know, try and be aware of what you feel in that moment and try and incorporate it instead of just blocking it out. Um, so uh, did you adapt a little bit to AJ at uh, Polaris? Because he's a, you know, he's a shit talker uh, and everybody knows it. Uh, so, but you like, you were the same way, right? Like you were trying to get in his head as well. Well, um, yeah. So AJ, I mean, it's gamesmanship, right? Like yeah, obviously AJ, you guys AJ, respect each other, but. AJ is a unique one because he is a unique individual. So the yeah. fight was unique. And that's a good example of adapting to the individual, which is I wouldn't normally smack talk my opponent. I'm usually mm-hmm. very respectful of my opponents, but AJ started smack talking first and and I knew what he fights like he gets in the people's heads and there was no way that he was going to do that with me not only was I I wasn't just going to uh, block him from getting in my head I'm going to try and turn it around and get into his head uh, and that was always the game plan I knew what he was going to be like and I was prepared for that and yeah so so when it came to the day uh, I was I was ready I was in that frame to go in there uh, to be ready to give anything he gave to me, to give it back, to talk shit, to, to, to put the gamesmanship back on him. Um, yeah, a unique uh, fight 
with a unique mindset going into it, definitely. Um, that, that specific match, uh, since you're good at guillotines, obviously, uh, and he's a wrestler, yeah. uh, I can imagine you were kind of – you were trying to bait him, right? Like, uh, in, a, in a way – I mean, you, you had a couple times where yeah. uh, it was really close, but – Yeah. I mean – through all the yeah, sweat and stuff, but, uh, and his, you know, I'm sure he was looking for that too. Yeah. So I think he knew what I was going to go for. Mm -hmm. Uh, for me, uh, one of the reasons why I was, I wasn't trying to wrestle him at all in the stand up. I didn't want to make it a wrestling match. It was a, uh, it was a no points competition. Uh, the match, could I, could I have taken him down? Almost certainly not. Uh, I would say at that time, I've been working my wrestling a lot more since then. At that time, I could not have taken him down. Could I have stopped him taking me down? Probably for the most part. Maybe it would have got a few, but I could have made it. If it had been a wrestling match, and I, it's very easy to, to stop someone from taking you down if you're not trying to take them down, right? It's yeah. very easy not to get submitted if you're not trying to submit them. Mm -hmm. So, uh, But I didn't want to make it a wrestling match because it wouldn't have been particularly entertaining and that's not where my strength lies. So I wanted to make it a grappling match and if that meant let him take me down uh, to get to the ground, then that's what I wanted to do. Uh, did I think that I'd be able to catch the neck in some of those uh, transitions to the takedowns? Yeah, absolutely. So I did a lot of the time. I, I caught his neck two or three times. Yeah. And there's basically two things that you need for the guillotine. You need a good connection of your wrist underneath the neck. And then you need a good body position relative to your opponent in order to finish. Now, what AJ does badly is defend the uh, forearm underneath the neck. I was shocked at how easy it was for me to get my wrist under his neck. Okay, very easy. What he does very well is he moves his body out of the way. So you can't turn that guillotine set up into a finish, or at least I couldn't back then. Since then I've developed my guillotine more where I feel like if I had then some of the tools that I have today, it might've been a different story. Do I think I, I would have submitted him? You can't say that. It's, he's so difficult to submit. It's an, it would be ignorant for me to say that I definitely would have submitted him. Would I have had more of a chance knowing today, knowing, back then when I know today? Yeah, I believe so. Whether that would have meant anything, who knows? Uh, but yeah, what AJ does really well is he moves his body out of position, forcing me to release the guillotine in order not to uh, concede to transitions or positions. Now, when it comes to the smack talking in jiu-jitsu, what do you think of that? Uh, uh, especially nowadays, you know, uh, we got all these social media platforms for for the 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 beef, I guess, like the, the rise of competition, like to like get yeah. people excited for it, right? Yeah, I think um, it's a bit cringy, you know, for me mm. personally. I think a lot, yeah. of, a lot of smack talk, uh, and, and you see it in MMA actually. In MMA, it's kind of a little bit more warranted, but you see so many people putting it on because of yeah. Conor McGregor made loads of money. Yeah, exactly. Because he's doing shit, but... You're not Conor McGregor. You can't talk shit like that. So you trying to be like that is actually really um, inauthentic. And, and you can see straight through that. What do you so, think it was um, Conor McGregor uh, or, or the people emulating him or UFC pushing those people to be like, hey, 
Connor did it so well. How about you guys wear the same glasses that he does at the press conferences and try to act like he did to draw more people? No, it's definitely the people. I don't think, I don't think the UFC is telling people to act like Conor McGregor. I think the, the UFC doesn't have to say anything. Yeah. You have Conor McGregor who makes a fuckload of money, becomes the biggest star the UFC has ever seen, one of the biggest sports stars in the world. Uh, and people go, I want that. That's the formula. That's what do. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to say anything. Um, so you see a lot of people being quite inauthentic. When it comes to grappling, you know, part of me goes, God, it's cringy. These people are just not intelligent enough to talk smack. It's just not very smart. They're not very witty. But then at the same time, um, the question is like, do people think it's entertaining? Because that's all that matters. When it comes to it, like, this is the whole thing that I've always said. Uh, people don't understand. Sport is entertainment. Nothing else. Yeah. Don't make it a bigger thing. Like competitive sport, it's not any bigger than that. It's entertainment. That's it. So it's do people want to watch you? Does your smack talk make people want to watch you? If the answer is yes, then it's working and it's worthwhile. If the answer is no, then it's not working and it's not worth, worthwhile. Uh, the problem with uh, grappling as well is that it lacks a lot of, uh, for whatever reason, it just seems, I don't know whether it's just because we're inside it, but it does seem that jiu-jitsu lacks a lot of personalities, individual personalities compared to a lot of other sports. Mm -hmm. uh, but that might just be, you know, that, that might just be the bias of being inside it and seeing everyone who's in it. Uh, if you're outside, you know, if you... If you just watch jujitsu from the outside, you'll only see the biggest names and therefore you'll think that everyone has personality. Whereas when you see it from the inside, you see everyone and you go, man, a lot of these people who are great grapplers are very boring individuals, but there's not much you can do about that. So I've got no issue with a few characters. Well, also, uh, probably, uh, you know, people seem dull maybe because, you know, you got to respect the art as well, right? Like, um, you know, you're, you're trying to get kids to come up into the sport and you're like, yeah, this is, you learn discipline, you learn all this stuff. But then, you know, if everybody was talking smack, then it's like, well, why do I want to put my kid in this? Like, right. So it's, you still got sure. the martial art aspect of it. But, but, but don't, uh, don't confuse uh, having a personality with talking smack. Yeah. So those, those things are very different, but some people, the only way that they can have a personality is by talking smack. Um, but yeah, I think uh, cultivating uh, characters is important for any entertainment genre. And that doesn't just have to be playing the heel. So besides injuries, did you have any other struggles in your, like, uh, I mean, you've been grappling pretty much your, your whole adult life. Um, did you face any struggles um, outside of injury? Uh, I mean, injury is a big thing. Uh, yeah, it is. It is a big thing for an athlete, and uh, and and a lot of those injuries did, you know, they they, they can wear on you when you you know. There, there have definitely been times where uh, an injury has pushed me close to 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 the edge, really. And and I remember uh, just before the AJ match, actually, the AJ match is very significant for me for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, it's sort of the, the 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 video that everyone watches when they say that they've seen me. It's like. It's, it's, it's my big breakout match onto the world stage. I was thrown against the really established world-class competitor and was definitely seen as an underdog, but was able to put on a really exciting show. So it's super entertaining. So 
for that, the obvious reasons it's a big match, but there are many other reasons it's a big match. And it goes back to what you just asked me, which is a struggle. One uh, ref referenced already, which is injuries. So when I fought AJ, I had, um, my shoulder was torn. I had a grade two uh, labrum tear anterior to posterior on my shoulder. And I was in a real bad way uh, before and during that match. During the match, it doesn't affect you because um, your adrenaline's going, you just don't yeah. get a crap. Yep. But I was having to get massaged every day that week leading up to the match. Otherwise, I wouldn't have even been able to step out there. So I tore my shoulder about six months before that match. And uh, it was getting worse, better, worse, better, and then just worse, 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 worse. I couldn't roll for more than five minutes. I literally couldn't do grapple for more than five minutes in my training leading up to it. So it was a 15-minute match. My um, training partners and students were really worried about me because I couldn't, I couldn't do 15 minutes. I couldn't mm -hmm. do one 15-minute round on the mats. And training for a couple of months, but I didn't want to pull out because I was meant to fight AJ on Polaris 1. And I tore my knee at that ADCC trial that I told you about. And I had to pull out. So I signed again to find at Polaris 2. I didn't want to pull out again. So I said, I'm stepping on that mat, whether you've got to will me out there on a fucking gurney. I'm going to, I'm going to fight that match. Um, but yeah, before that match, uh, not only was the injury really bad, and, and to, you go to training, you train hard, you, you can't do it. Your arm, you know, what would happen is I trained for five minutes, my arm would die. Like the nerves would, um, it would, uh, whatever the nerves would react or they would get inflamed and my arm would become like a dead weight couldn't move it couldn't do anything and that was it for the day and i was driving home every day after training for like i trained for not a long amount of time and my shoulder would be fucked i'm like what is this this isn't worth anything and uh this isn't worth it and uh i also wasn't you know i've been full-time jujitsu for a couple of years but was not making much money at all you know i really wasn't yeah. and um i was like i'm just gonna I'm just going to sack off jujitsu. I'm going to get a job that's going to be well paid. I don't need this shit. It's not worth it. And then the AJ match happened. And the hype after that match um, reinvigorated why am I sacrificing everything for this sport? So it gave me like a, 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 an injection of, of what I needed from jujitsu. Mm -hmm. Uh, then just afterwards, I got my shoulder scanned and they said, of course, rehab isn't fixing this. The only way that this can be fixed is with surgery. So then suddenly there's light at the end of the tunnel. And then off of, the, uh, off of all of the hype and the popularity that I received after the AJ match, I was able to start running a full Nogi program at the gym that I was training at. So now the money was coming in as well. So in the space of a few months from before that match to after that match, I went from the lowest point of my jiu-jitsu career, badly riddled with a, with a seemingly incurable injury because I'd been hammering the, uh, the rehab on it so, you know, so much and it was not getting better. Uh, and then you know, thinking, I'm not making any money from this sport. This, is, this might not be a way to live. Uh, and then suddenly, a couple of months later, my shoulder's in a cast, but it's all healed up. I can get back to training soon. I'm starting the grappling program soon. Uh, I've got money coming in now. So that was a big turning point for me in so many ways that match was. Um, how's your shoulder now? Like, uh, do you have full range of motion with it or does it still give you a little bit of bother? Look, I know, I know that I, I carry the 
physical scars and I have the physiological scars. I know that it's there. I can feel it, it clicks sometimes, but my range of motion is good. Not that that share my range of motion is good. My range of motion is pretty good uh, and I can grapple and I, it gives me no trouble whatsoever on the mat. So uh, I would say that my shoulder is uh, 100% functional and 95% fully healed. So, yeah, jujitsu, uh, there's a lot of roller coasters, right? Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, that's a perfect example. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you at the start of this is Raspberry 8. I'm sure you probably explained this many times. And how everybody gets nicknames, right? Not everybody, but yeah. a lot of people get nicknames. Uh, yeah. You know, my professor is Sabretooth. That's, so Saber Jiu-Jitsu came natural for him. Nice. Because, you know, he, he's a big, big dude, right? He, uh, yeah. Uh, but where does Raspberry Ape come from? So it's a very interesting story, actually. So if you've got a few minutes, I'll explain it to you. So we got time. Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, I was a couple of maybe uh, three or four years old, a mischievous kid. And I was at the zoo and I wandered off, as I often do, and somehow managed to fall into a gorilla enclosure. So everyone starts panicking, obviously going crazy. They're thinking there's a kid in the gorilla enclosure. The gorilla's going to rip him apart and they run off to get something to take the gorilla out with. Obviously, I'm completely oblivious to this at the point. Uh, someone in the audience, quick thinking, he's eating some raspberries, throws some raspberries into the enclosure. The gorilla, and he had, the guy had no idea, the gorilla's favorite treat was raspberries. He sees them, <laughs> goes over there. That gives him enough time and space to get in, get me out. Uh, before the gorilla had to be shot, which was going to be the next call of action. So uh, many years later, when I was thinking about what my name was going to be, I, or I thought back to that moment and I thought back to that gorilla and the raspberry ape was what it was. Well, I hope I hope your parents repaid that guy with raspberries, like <laughs> gave, gave him back a pack of raspberries. <laughs> I'm sure he got some reward. <laughs> uh, so... Um, so you train or uh, you teach full-time jiu-jitsu now? Is that, well, is that I, I, I've taught jiu-jitsu for the last uh, 12 years. I've been teaching jiu-jitsu. And uh, full-time for the past, uh, I was doing full-time for four years. And uh, I quit at the end of, or just under five years. I left uh, my teaching job uh, at the end of October to travel, do seminars, to focus more on myself. You know, I've really been focusing, uh, I, I, I kind of go full out with whatever I do. So mm -hmm. when I was uh, running the Nogi program, Rosbeck Grappling program at Mill Hill, which is the gym that I tr I've always trained at, I was running the Nogi program there and I was super focused on my athletes and um, it meant at some points it was at the detriment of my own training, potentially. Yeah. Or it's very difficult to focus on yourself as an athlete and focus on other people at, at the same time. So I decided that I wasn't getting any younger and I was going to take some time off to not have to worry about anyone else, focus on myself, travel, train like a professional athlete and give myself, uh, and, and, and give myself some time to compete as well. So I barely competed as much as I'd like to over the last couple of years because I've been so busy during the week I'm teaching my classes and on the weekends I'm doing seminars. So taking those classes away, gives me a lot more time to fit everything, everything in. I wanted to train, wanted to travel, wanted to compete. 
and then I did a little bit of traveling and then this uh, virus hit in, um, in, in March. And so all of those plans have kind of been scrapped a little bit. So I don't currently teach it anywhere. Um, you know, jujitsu so up in the air, the, the industry so up in the air full stop at the moment. Uh, but coming out of this, at some point, the end goal is always to, to open my own gym. At some point, that's what I really want to do. Uh, but at the moment, I am uh, not, not teaching full-time anyway. But you got, you got other projects going on. I just saw that you posted on your Instagram this, uh, this project you're doing now, right? Um, and you dropped one episode. I forget what it, uh, what's it called. Stones and Strangles. Yeah. Uh, so, so how's yeah. that? Yeah, so I've got a few different projects on the go. You know, um, uh, run a podcast, uh, like sell a little bit of uh, apparel and stuff like that. Um, I am in the process of filming uh, to release a grip training for jiu-jitsu DVD or instructional. Uh, that's kind of sort of my main focus for now. Uh, just I get so many questions about grip training for jiu-jitsu. I want to try and put everything that I've, that I've learned over the years into one place. Um, and, uh, and and put that out there. Stones and Strangles is uh, a project that we recorded in March, beginning of March, and uh, we finished editing and, and, and it's just going out now. Uh, basically, that's a combination. I uh, Mid-February to mid-March, I spent a month uh, traveling around the UK uh, doing a seminar tour. So I did, uh, how many was it? maybe uh, 17 seminars in the month or something like that, maybe a little bit more, 20 something seminars. So I was traveling around all over the country and doing seminars. And I was doing a load of seminars around Scotland. Now Scotland has a lot of, as most people who are into stone lifting knows, that's sort of one of the main places apart from Iceland, Scotland's one of the main places in the world that has historic lifting stones. Mm. So I was gonna try and, or I, I did, uh, whilst I was doing um, seminars around Scotland, also try and do as many um, historic lifting stones around Scotland as I could, because I was already traveling around there. So I thought, this is pretty cool, and it would be really, uh, it would kind of suck if I didn't document this in some way. So I spoke to a friend of mine who's a really good filmmaker, a guy called uh, James Bullingham, uh, and we decided that we were going to do this project, Stones and Strangles, where he was going to follow me around Scotland to, as I taught jiu-jitsu and lift stones and make it into a little mini-series. And yeah, that's what we've got. So it's eight episodes. Uh, released the first one yesterday, and um, I'm releasing them twice a week. So Tuesdays and Fridays on my YouTube channel and on Facebook, but YouTube's better. You just can't put YouTube on yeah. I'll link YouTube to Facebook or Zuckerberg has a hissy fit. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if you want to watch it, it's on YouTube. And first episode's out. First episode's a sliced episode because uh, there's just a little, uh, yeah. go to one seminar. Uh, but all of the other episodes, are a lot of stone lifting. Some of them are all stone lifting. Some of them are uh, just jujitsu. But yeah, it's a, it's a cool little project and it's a nice way of, uh, yeah, I think it was a really epic, crazy trip. And I, it would have been a real waste if it wasn't documented. So fingers crossed, if it, you know, if it all goes down well, uh, then maybe I can go on some other cool trips and get James out there with me recording and making other little documentaries. Yeah, I mean, there's so much history, you know, in your area, right? Uh, and just like all this, all these weird competitions, not weird, I guess it is for us, but 
you know, it's not like a perfect round shot put, right? Um, I used yeah. to do the Scottish games. So, like I, yeah, so I'm familiar with like odd stone puts and yep. the caber toss. And yeah, yeah, yeah. so, um, so do these, uh, do they call them like villages in Scotland? Like, do, do they just have like each, each people have like their own like set of stones? Like, hey, we have, we have the heaviest stones, come lift these. Like, Kind of. So it, it, a lot of the, I think it, the interesting thing about stone lifting is that every culture ever in the whole world, if you go back far enough, would have lifted stones in one capacity or another. Like that's all, that's what people lifted before we had barbells, before we had other stuff. And they'd use uh, some cultures would use stones as uh, meeting places. Sometimes stones would be used to settle arguments Sometimes stones would be let, uh, used as a test for uh, an army or a family or a clan. So there's, there's many different types of stones. Um, in Scotland, a lot of them are clan stones. So there would have been testing stones of different clans. If you could lift this, then you could be in this or whatever. Uh, one of the stones that I visit, so one minute, I'm gonna sneeze. No, I'm good. Uh, one of the stones that I visit on, I think, episode four or five called the Braven Stone. Um, it was a stone that used to be used to, it was a punishment stone. So what they do is there is a grave. It's a, it's a, a, a grave that goes up though. So it's like a, a, a concrete uh, mm -hmm. area and you lie inside this grave above the ground and there's a, a space for your head. And once you're lying in it, they put a big slab over the top, so only your face is showing. And then they place the Braven Stone over the top to stop you from getting out. And so you're trapped in this coffin with just your face showing, and uh, people would come and they'd see, you know, you're a criminal or whatever, and they'd yeah. spit on you or piss on you or <laughs> hurl abuse at you or whatever they want to do. And, that, and I think sometimes they'd let them out and sometimes they just leave them to die in there. So different stones for different things, but it is the story behind the stone that makes it, um, that makes it something more than just lifting a bit of rock off the ground. Like I can go into my garden, I can lift up a stone and it's fun and it's functional training and it's cool, you know, it looks cool or whatever. But when you add the story to the stone, everything becomes more significant, more special. Uh, the beauty of in Scotland, uh, Scotland is a very, have you ever been to Scotland? No, I have not. I haven't even been over to Europe, but I, I need okay. to because there's, Scotland, there's a yeah. lot of interesting things. Yeah, of course. But, but Scotland is like stunningly beautiful as well. And that's one of, like, I'd never gone to Scotland until a couple of years ago. Um, and since then I've been back quite a few times. I love Scotland. I think it's, it's really one of my favorite places. And I saw so much of it on this trip. I, I drove, uh, I think I drove 1500 miles in the week that I was in Scotland and uh, just all over the place from, from, from six different cities, all the way around, all the way to the top, through the highlands, through the, uh, all of these crazy places. Uh, and it is stunningly beautiful. So many different, at the time that I went as well as winter, so, you know, we were going up some mountains and they were covered in snow. And then you go to some other places, there's waterfalls and there's, uh, you know, big rolling fields, forests, uh, wildlife is amazing. So, so yeah, so that's, uh, that, that's stones and strangles and that's, it's out now.
Um, so I think you've uh, you tried to emulate those stones, right? And in, in one of your videos, you have uh, something. I mean, it's really just plates on either side that you're trying to lift, right? Uh, uh, right. Which because, one? Um, because you have two two ring handles, right? Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yeah. So that that is the Dinny stones. Oh, okay. So the Dinny stones. Have you heard of the Dinny stones before? I've seen. I think sometimes uh, at certain Highland games they'll bring bring them out. Yes. yes. Um, in the states, uh, obviously, it's a little bit harder over here. But I mean, anybody could find two big ass rocks and absolutely cord so, drill yeah, them and put handles on them. Yeah, the Dinny stones are, they're probably the most famous stones, even though they're technically not a manhood stone. They're not a lifting stone because you lift them with handles. You don't lift them yeah. like you would a natural stone. Uh, but the Dinny stones are very, very famous. Made famous by a guy called Donald Dinny. And they were used originally as a counterweight for, um, for construction when they were building the bridge in uh, Potiak, where, uh, where the stones are now, where they now reside. And um, yeah, Donald Dinney lifted these stones and carried them across the bridge and no one else ever did it, you know, for a hundred years or whatever, no one lifted these stones again. They became very famous. And then a guy called Jack Shaw, oh God, no, I'm gonna screw his name up. This is very bad. A guy called Jack, Jesus Christ. Wait, give me two minutes. Cause I'm gonna get, <laughs> if I get this wrong. Uh, uh, this is this is good. Uh, yeah, this is this is good for the airwaves. You hear right? This is good to yeah, hear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was Jack Shanks. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I've been watching too much UFC. Jack Shaw. Uh, <laughs> Jack Shanks, who was the first one to lift it after many years, and then since then we're up to about 150 people to have lifted it. And the two stones, they've got ring handles, and you lift them both off the ground at the same time. They weigh 333 kilos, so like 700 and something pounds altogether. Uh, and it's a real grip test and test of strength. And uh, that was a goal of mine that I had for many years. And uh, last year I went out and I, I lifted the Dinny Stones. Um, well, it's not only grip too, it's just the odd way you have to lift it, right? Uh, for, for most people, because we're so used to a, a bar in front of you, yeah. or uh you know on the side as like a hex bar deadlift um these things you have to kind of um twist i guess a little bit or have one hand in the back right yeah so there's different ways of doing it you can do side by side but it is much harder but the main the way that people normally do it is they straddle and then they they lift with one hand in front and one hand behind but but you know that's one of the beauties of it is that everyone lifts it slightly differently everyone's body shape is slightly different it works for different people in different ways i guess i guess you could translate that to jujitsu right everybody's different because all are different body styles yeah and you have to be able to express strength many different angles which is why i feel so much better for the training that i do these days compared to the training that i did a few years ago which was a lot more um single direction stuff mm -hmm. squat bench you know this and that but playing around with uh different angles and trying to to, to express strength at awkward what would be called odd angles yeah. with different implements uh builds a much more well-rounded strength for grappling especially nothing 
nothing could be more awkward than grappling because you don't know what angle you're going to be at when you need to exert force because you don't even control it half the time. There's a crazy thing. Imagine having to, it's not like uh, you watch someone throw a hammer or something, you know, you watch someone with these crazy angles that they have to turn their body when they do throwing events or different sporting events, crazy angles. You put yourself in those positions. But with grappling, someone else puts you in a position that you may never have been in before and you need to move and you need to be strong and you need to be mobile in those angles again. So very, very unique sport is grappling and that's including wrestling, judo and all these MMA, whatever. And and not to mention they're moving as well. So as you're trying to reverse that and use your strength, they're 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 counterbalancing that. Yeah. Um, So with all your crazy gripping things do you have a fabricator i I know some of them you can you can get uh i like your globe right i I saw you i've never seen that and then i had to look it up yep and i was like well that's an interesting piece of equipment and but it's easily accessible but you you do have stuff that um does it come to your mind and you have it fabricated yeah sometimes so um you know, I pride myself in creativity. Uh, I've always been creative, but just unable to manifest my creations or my manifest my creativity in the real world. Uh, so luckily I have some people around me who are able to do that and they share a little bit of the madness that I bring to them. Uh, so they can, they, a lot of the time, I bring a crazy idea to someone and they give me something even crazier in return. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the equipment I've, uh, I've acquired through that have been manufactured and then some stuff I think I want this and then someone makes it for me uh I've got two guys one guy that I've used in the past quite a lot called Lewis Rinney who uh Magni Magni Power who made a load of my stuff that that I still use to this day uh and then more recently a guy called Sean from Raw Functional Fitness I believe it is and he is the guy who made me my caliber and my Excalibur sword handle yeah. And um, the big thick mace that I've been using in uh, that I was using last week. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the great gamma mace. So yeah, these are ideas that I have. I'm like, man, uh, I want this. Can you do it? And he goes, I'll do it. And then he does it way better than I could expect. That's cool. Um, I was going to ask uh, something off that. Have you ever heard of the guy? Uh, he goes by Ted hammers on Instagram. Yeah. yeah, yeah I follow Ted. Yeah. Same, same idea. They just make some awesome stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's because uh, I do a lot of mace and rotational stuff, uh, awesome, yeah. and it kind of brought me because you're explaining in one of your videos about your cone grip. Yeah, uh, like for just vertical deadlift pull with one hand, uh, huh? a good, good explanation for it with limbs. Yeah, uh, but I feel like I could get that with like mace too. Uh, maybe yeah. in a that cone is a little bit different, but like. That Ted Hammers guy, I forget. I don't know his whole name, his real name. Yeah. I just know him by Ted Hammers. But that guy is crazy strong with his rotational stuff. Yeah. With like in like the stuff like his shield he builds and just like using the the motions. On, mm-hmm. And that's where I'm like, well, this is very applicable to mm-hmm. any type of grappling because that that's where you're you're strengthening all like aspects of like your motion right yeah absolutely so uh yeah for me i've used uh clubs maces meals 
uh, for many years. Um, I use, always use uh, Indian clubs to warm up and then maces sometimes to warm up, sometimes for other stuff. They're very versatile pieces. Uh, the, the thick handled mace that I had made, man, it just feels, if you can hold on to a 2.5 inch handle as it's going to all of these different sort of machinations as you move around, then when you, that crosses over onto uh, grabbing onto someone's leg or grabbing onto someone's wrist, you can feel the difference. And that's not very heavy, is it? I mean, or, um, that one heavy is, that? is seven kilos. Okay, so but I mean, still, you still gotta, you still gotta have a good grip on it. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah. Um, how do you train like uh, with your grip? Uh, do you kind of apply like a like a powerlifting type schedule where you know you do just some days like or like with your heavy bags like when you're doing like uh, yeah. you know just uh, berserker squats or whatever yeah bear bear hug squats. Um, do you train it like where you're just like one day? I'm just gonna max out with my lift, uh, especially uh, with grip because they're they're relatively smaller than like leg days and things yeah. like that. You can max out with your grip a lot more than you can with any other part of the body. The blood supply supply is so good. The recovery is really excellent in the forearms relative to big muscle groups like legs. Um, for me, I don't use a. Uh, I don't have a program. I don't follow any program at the moment. I haven't for, for a while. At some points, I felt that my lack of programming was a real detriment. At other points, like now, I feel that my lack of program is quite, can be quite free and, and can be quite useful. Um, you know, I, the only stuff that I really have numbered goals with is my bag squats. Uh, in terms of grip training, I just throw some stuff in during the workout, throw some stuff in at the end of the workout, test my grip. I work different things. I try and and, 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 and you just, when you've been training for, when you've been lifting for many years, you can work out what works and you can work to your limit and you can push the limit a little bit and, and get benefits and gains from different stuff. But uh, it's very, very, very loose programming. That's cool. And then, uh, you know, you're also known for uh, the denim, right? Yeah. And you've explained that also, but... Uh, you know, uh, what's the, what's the story behind the denim? So the, the story behind it was, um, I, I started lifting in, uh, jeans cause I was wearing, I, I found these awesome stretchy jeans, man. I was never big into jeans, but I found some stretchy jeans like years ago now when I was in America actually. And I was like, these are unbelievably comfortable. I was just wearing them all the time. So I'd go and work out and I always felt like I was, when I was working out, I was training for life, right? Yeah. So when I work out, I work out in what I wear. You know, I work out and then I go to the shops. You know, I'm, I'm wearing the same thing. I'm wearing boots, jeans, T-shirts. So I'd go, I'd go to the shops in that. I'd go and work out in that. So I just started lifting in jeans and, and uh, it was working. You know, I wasn't thinking much of it. And a few people were like picking up on, on Instagram. People <laughs> going, why, why are you lifting in jeans? I'm like, it's, just what, it's what I wear to go to the shops. It's what I wear to go to the gym. And then one day uh, it was really hot out. And someone commented or message saying it's 25 degrees. You're, you're not you're at Celsius. Uh, you're not, uh, there's no way you're wearing jeans. And I thought, I don't need to wear jeans. I've got my denim hot pants, my Daisy Dukes. <laughs> then it started to become a thing where I was wearing uh, the, the denim this and then denim jacket, denim bandana, and just kind of 
just just piling it on. Uh, so it almost started as a bit of a joke, but to the point now where I cannot train properly without denim. Genuinely now. Because when I put that on, for me, that's like putting a gi on before you step on the mat. It's like putting my knee pads on before I go grapple. You know, that that is... Then I know it's business. When the jeans go on in the gym, I've got gym, gym jeans now. When they go on and I put my boots on, now I know that I'm lifting heavy. So uh, there's definitely psychological things based with everything but you know the, the way that i explained it uh i did a uh like a did a video yeah. with joe and yeah. they're asking me about it they weren't intending to do anything on the denim but i was just talking so much shit that they thought they'd video it and uh there is a thing called enclosed cognition which is the what you wear affects how you act and and for me wearing jeans is uh it makes me feel stronger so that's what i wear now you you train in boots. Do you ever train barefooted? Because there's a lot of benefits to like barefoot training and uh, so, being grounded. Yeah. Right. So so I train either boots or barefoot. I I train. Uh, so when I warm up, when I walk, I, I'm barefoot ninety five percent of the day. Be it on the mats, in the house, in the garden. If I'm yeah. going to this, you know, if I'm if I'm walking the dog, often I wear I'll go barefoot. It. I, I go barefoot almost all of the time, okay. whenever I can. Um, when I lift, I'll warm up barefoot. I'll wear bare feet when I'm doing my accessory work. I just put my boots on when I'm doing the heavy lifting. So a lot of that is to do with, that's what I'm going to wear when I'm lifting stones in mm. the Scottish Highlands. That's what I'm going to be wearing where, when I'm lifting stones on an Icelandic beach. You know, so, so it's, again, it's just being prepared for what I'm going to be doing uh, what I'm trying to build this strength for. So I'm either uh, booted up or it's barefoot. I do lots of barefoot training, training your feet uh, to be strong and mobile and versatile uh, is very important for sure. Caveman style. Oh yeah. Got to go caveman style. Um, so <clears throat> do you like books? Do you read, do you read a lot or? I do. I love books. I try, and, I try and read as much as I can. Yeah. In the end, I end up listening to a lot of, lot of books more than I read them, but I, I usually have a couple of books on the go. Yeah. yeah I usually pick it up better on like audible. Um, yeah. just listening to it. I can, I can, uh, fully focus on it. Um, what are some of your favorite books that you fall back on that you've read that you re you recommend to people? You know, it, 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 it I've got lots of book recommendations, but it depends what the individual is looking for. You know, whether it's a book on, uh, you know, I'm big into anthropology. So uh, all of the basics like Sapiens and uh, History of the Human Body and Story of the Human Body and stuff like that. Uh, it's stuff that really interests me. Um, yeah, there's a variety of stuff, you know, the, the, the psychology, anthropology, uh, some... Um, stuff on what would be called like self-improvement and stuff, but habit performing stuff like atomic habits or uh, stuff like that. Um, I just try and take in as much information as I can at all times. I've just started reading fiction for the first time in about 15 years. Um, I, I think that there are some benefits to reading fiction, but I just don't do it. Uh, but I started reading uh, fiction now. So uh, for the first time in a long time, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, I always have a couple of books on the go and just trying to get as much information, even if you don't remember it all, feel like it sticks in there somewhere. 
uh, what, what's one book? Just if you could pick one book, what would be like a, uh, for, uh, like I, I'm more of a mental guy. So I like, uh, you know, self-improvement school, uh, but I like, a like a mental game and yep. training your brain book where, uh, you tend to fall back on like for jujitsu or life. Um, it's, it's so, di- I'll I tell you what, um, for, for me, there's no books when it comes to the mental training or, or comes to like stuff with jujitsu. I don't read jujitsu books for jujitsu. A lot of the time I'll read books because I'm, life, is, life is really uh, a lot of life is about patterns and recognizing patterns that are prevalent in lots of different things. So there may be something that's prevalent in just one thing, but if there's something that seems to have connection to everything and your ability to, to, to create analogies between things uh, means a very deep understanding of what you're talking about, the subject matter. Uh, one, of my fa- one of my absolute favorite authors is a guy called Malcolm Gladwell. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. Mm-hmm. So I've read, uh, I, I highly recommend anyone listen to this that listens to Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, the, the books read well and the audible or the uh, audio books He's very, very excellently uh, done. Uh, some of them, just very, some audiobooks are very dry. Uh, his books flow very, very nicely, super engaging. Uh, he did uh, David and Goliath, Tipping Point, I've read How to Talk to Strangers, Blink, uh, and I'm sure there's another one. But a lot of very good books from him. And he is, he's talking sort of about social psychology, uh, but with so many of these things, you start to pick up on things and you connect that to what you know, you know? So if you know jujitsu, don't read about jujitsu, read about something else and see how that relates to jujitsu. So like uh, I started playing chess a couple of years ago and you start to learn the principles of chess and then you connect that to your principles in jujitsu. And then when I talk about jujitsu now, I can use chess as an analogy uh, to uh, explain some of the principles that I'm thinking about in jiu-jitsu. So, uh, yeah, if, if I could recommend one author, it would probably be Malcolm Gladwell because I like all of his stuff. Well, that works. Um, I'll, I'll put a couple of his books up there. I'll, I'll refer back to all those books that you mentioned. Uh, so, Chess, you, uh, yeah. how, how, did, how has that helped your, uh, your jiu-jitsu game? You, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if you can say that chess. Ha- I. I. I well, have to say that chess yeah. doesn't help your jujitsu game. Uh, <laughs> but I, it's another form of mental training, and I like to try and learn different skills. And I think it's important to try and learn different things. Be that language. Be that music. Cool instruments. Be that chess. Be that puzzles. Uh, try and train your brain in different ways. Can you know whether the proof is there that it can create neurogenesis or help with your mental plasticity and stuff like that. I'm not sure, but definitely exercising your brain. Look, I work my muscles in the gym. I work my brain when I read books, when I do puzzles, when I uh, play chess uh, and you put those two things together as your accessory stuff. For, uh, you, you, strength cannot exist without health, right? Mm-hmm. Health is the foundation of anything above it. So strength, strength cannot exist without health. Uh, and health is physical and it's psychological, it's emotional, it could be spiritual depending on your orientation that way. Um, but you've got to work on all of that. And if, you have a, if you're healthy, then you can be strong on top of it. So uh, chess is, uh, is, is, is mental exercise for me, uh, but in terms of me being able to 
relate things back to jujitsu. Um, when I teach my seminars or when I teach classes, sometimes a lot of the time I use chess uh, as an analogy to, uh, I love using analogies of all kinds. My analogies just used to be too ridiculous and abstract as I got older to come to make a little bit more sense. Um, and yeah, well, chess is one of those things where you can see a lot of crossover and, 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 and uh, a lot of um, patterns in between the two. Well, I think you need analogies for yourself, right? I, I have some weird ways of like remembering certain positions and moves and like, like people would be like, what the hell are you talking about? It's like, well, that's just the way, like, I know it's like my crazy mind. I'm just like, Oh, it's this. And they're like, what? Yeah. Well, it works for me. So, yeah. So then, so then what you have to do as an instructor is you got your, the analogy that works for you. No one else understands. So then you got to make, find another analogy that everyone understands and you understand can cross over in the same way. Yeah. So, uh, do you have any uh, future projects? Uh, I know you said you wanted to, uh, you know, after this pandemic thing, uh, two other trips, kind of like your uh, stones and strangles. Um, is your podcast still rolling? So the podcast is still running. Um, I haven't been able to record with anyone in a while. I haven't been able to, I just had one during the pandemic. Uh, but I haven't, you know, just the accessibility of the people in person is just not quite there. And I, and I don't do any over um, online or anything. Yeah. Uh, but the podcast is still going. I'm looking forward to really getting back into that and talking to some interesting names that I've got set up when everything gets back a little bit more to normal. Um, yeah, the focus for me, main focus for me at the moment is finishing uh, planning and uh, recording and then releasing a DVD instructional for uh, or online instructional for grip training for jiu-jitsu. Um, off the back of that, I also want to do a guillotine one and maybe some other jiu-jitsu ones depending on how well they go. Uh, just get that information out there in a really um, w well-produced way. Uh, in terms of stuff like the Stones and Strangles, there are, I have uh, other ideas for projects like that, um, which uh, I won't go into too much detail about because I don't want anyone to steal yeah, them. Yeah, but I, I, have, I have some ideas uh, for some stuff that will be hopefully really interesting and yeah, some stuff that maybe I, I'm looking for a TV channel or maybe Netflix or something to potentially pick up and, uh, and, and give me enough money to go and do and have some fun with. Yeah, why not? I mean... They got, they got everything in there. So, yes, so you don't ask, you don't get right. So that's uh, in the horizon. Uh, but you know, like uh, that Stones and Strangles, it's original. I mean, yeah. you know, and originality is always good. Um, you don't know who would want to watch it, but uh, I think a lot of people get interested in things like that. Uh, yeah, we'll find out because it's uh, curious. Uh, I don't know if you go too much into the history of it um, yeah. in this, but uh, I'll, I'll definitely watch it. Um, uh, so to wrap things up, I, I usually ask people on this leave it, leave it to Seavers podcast. Just, uh, if, if you had one bit of advice to leave with listeners um, and it could be for your life application, jujitsu application, uh, what would you leave them? Um, man. This is a good question. Very difficult. <laughs> uh, if I could leave one bit of advice is um, be open-minded. Uh, you know, always uh, life is about learning and it's about growth. It doesn't matter how good you think you are at something. You're a, a white belt in something else. Um, and just uh, always never close yourself off to, to learning new things or even learning 
different ways to do something that you think you already know how to do. So open-mindedness uh, and, 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 and uh, trying to stay far away from sort of closed-minded ignorance as possible. That's the main thing. That's great advice. And, uh, you know, um, I enjoyed this conversation. Uh, and I, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I truly appreciate you hopping on. Um, no, my pleasure, my pleasure. You know, um, I just took a shot in the dark. I, you seem like a... <laughs> Seemed like a good guy as it is, so uh, I, I really appreciate you hopping on. And uh, absolute pleasure. Even even though it's real early for me. <laughs> oh yeah, it's fine for me, man. I'm chilling. <laughs> yeah, um, but um, yeah, hopefully we could uh, run it back uh, when you have uh, more things out and uh, talk, about, talk about your uh, new stuff. And yeah, for then, sure. Uh, yeah, you uh, you have a good uh, week, and uh, yeah, I'll. Uh, you too, brother. I'll be, I'll be talking to you. I'll probably be hitting you up more on your your crazy my, grip stuff. My pleasure, man. Anytime, my friend. Anytime. It's a pleasure chatting to you. All right, Dan. Take it easy, it. brother. All right, see, see ya. ya. Bye.